Marriage. It's the most important relationship we have in this life. If there's difficulty in our marriage, it's important to learn how to tighten the knot. In this series of messages, Pastor Chris Chavik teaches us from the Bible how to tighten the knot of our marriage. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse number 1, you read these words, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, just, I, I'm just giving this a little bit of background before we jump into the thought of the text. Uh, many Bible scholars, and probably most conservative Bible scholars, and I would certainly be one, would believe that Lemuel is just another word for Solomon. King Solomon and Lemuel would, would just be same person, different names. And, and we believe that for a lot of different reasons, the style, the meter, all of that, of the writing. Um, and uh, there would be some that differ. We wouldn't argue about that. It's, it's not a point of argument for us. We would just believe that. I say that to say this. If at some point through the message I refer to Solomon and Bathsheba or something like that, uh, that's because I believe Lemuel is just another name for King Solomon, who is the author of the Proverbs. And uh, so want to help you just with that. And so the prophecy that his mother taught him, his mother would be Bathsheba, who was Solomon's mother. And again, uh, certainly we could be wrong on that. The Bible doesn't say for sure, but it just seems like the, the lion's share of the evidence would probably uh, point that way. Now, this is a poetical book, Proverbs is, and you interpret prophecy a little bit differently than like our study in Romans, which is an epistle. And this chapter in Proverbs 31 is um, quite interesting in that every verse in the Hebrew language uh, begins with a new Hebrew letter from the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which is a left, to the last, which is tau, T-A-U, is how we phonetically say it. Uh, every verse is a new letter, and it, it demonstrates a couple of things. The importance and beauty of the topic that's being discussed, a mom giving wisdom to her son. And second, the acrostic aids in memory. How many of you in your life have ever taken a big test, uh, or maybe just your driver's test, and you try to remember things by giving yourself study helps to remember it? You know, I can remember in college, constantly doing that, trying to think of things. I do that with trying to remember people's names. Uh, I'll come up with something funny about them, because my mind just works that way, uh, and, and it tries to help me to, it helps me to remember, and that's part of the reason for the acrostic. And and the acrostic is an expression of comprehensiveness, of totality. This chapter, again, a little bit of background, was written toward the end of Solomon's life. If you know much about Solomon, you understand that his life was stained, drastically stained because of his choice of wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Uh, he kept trying, you got to give him that, but he was wrong every time. Um, he uh, had uh, violated the advice that his mom gives him here in Proverbs chapter 31. Um, his life was constantly and consistently marred by selecting the wrong woman. He was not wise in that way. He's the wisest man to ever live. But when he gave himself when he got married or well, women came into his life, he, man, he really struggled, which violates the principle that his mom tells him in verse number three, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways unto that which destroyeth 
kings. Don't give your way to, to don't give your strength unto women. No, you, there's more to this than simply that. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 25, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, uh, says this, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of the foolishness of madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman. That's a bold statement. I find more bitter than death the woman. A family in our church, the De La Vega family, uh, Jimmy De La Vega and, and Aki Gomez, their dad passed away last night in Florida at 85 years old after preaching on the Bible almost 50 years. That was a bittersweet time. We have some other ladies in our church whose parent, whose dads have passed away. Debbie was at a funeral on Friday, and all the people who passed away were believers, but it's still very, very difficult when there's death. And notice what Solomon says, more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, her hands are bands, who please, who please, whoso, I can read, whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this I have found, said the preacher. Solomon calls himself the preacher. Behold, this I have found, said the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. I mean, Solomon says, at the end of my life, I can tell you this much, I've screwed my life up because I keep making the wrong choices with women. It messed him up so much that if we were to go back and study First Kings, we would, we would understand this, that Solomon couldn't find the right woman because he was attracted to the wrong kind of women. He was, if I could be so bold, he was turned on by the wrong kind of chicks. And that's who Solomon was. And, and, and he, he constantly struggled to find the right woman because he was simply attracted to the wrong kind of women. And we go back to 1 Kings and we would understand with clarity that Solomon went so far as to build false or, or to build temples to false gods because his wives wanted him to. I mean, that's a, that's a bad place for the king. That's a bad place for a man of God. The advice of Proverbs 31 was given to Solomon when he was a young man. And it's the advice of his mother. This passage, if you will, from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, verse number 32, is what I've titled the character of a praised wife. Praised by whom, we might ask? Well, by those who know her best, her family. Praised by her family. And in this text, she's even praised by God. No woman is... Uh, no one is ever... No woman is ever going to follow this model or this pattern apart from the grace of God. But can I say with emphasis that if you will... By the grace of God, apply the principles that we're about to talk about in this text. God, through His grace and empowerment, will make you more Christ-like and more like this woman. This message is a, <laughs> this text is a text of hope. And let me say this to our single men. 
Because sometimes people come like, oh, he's talking to wives today. I can check out. I wonder, I wonder what games are being played or what I could do. No, no, no. Listen to me clearly. Single men, this is the kind of woman you want to marry. Single ladies, this is the kind of woman you want to be. It's amazing to me that young men who've sat under the preaching at Canyon Ridge and, and other good godly churches that preach the Bible, they'll come to me, they're like, I wish I would have just thought more deeply about this before I got married. Yeah, but by that point, it's too late, isn't it? So if you're single here today, let's, let's apply, let's learn these principles. If you're married here today, let's learn and apply these principles for the kind of woman that God wants in the marriage, the kind of wife God wants you to be. Well, the first point is for both women and men to consider, and we find it in verse number 10 of our text. And and now listen, we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of Proverbs 31. We're not going to get super in-depth, and the first two points will be the longest of the two points. I just want you to understand that going in, uh, that we might uh, seem a little bit uh, long on the first end, and we'll, we'll shorten it up in the second, and just I feel led of the Lord that these points need a little bit more emphasis. Verse number 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Number one, the first character of a praised wife. Number one, she understands her value and importance. She understands her value and importance. Her price is above rubies. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 15. The Bible says, She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. Proverbs 12, verse number 4 says, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Proverbs 18, 24, or 22, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Proverbs 19, 14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Let me stop and just be super clear here. God loves marriage. Whoso findeth a wife. It does not say whoso findeth a roommate. I'll wait till more people are on board. I'm okay with that. If you feel like I feel awkward, you should have been here at the 8.30 service. I don't feel awkward. They amen a lot. I'll wait for you to get on board. God's for more than friends with benefits. God's for more than just hooking up. Matter of fact, God's against friends with benefits. God's against hooking up. God's against all that. Why? Because God has designed marriage for the benefit of society, for the furtherance of the gospel. It's all a part of God's plan. That's why Proverbs 19, 14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. God wants you to understand something, ladies. You are of great value. Great value. The Bible says a virtuous woman, this speaks of her character, the word virtuous, her strength of character, the strength of her influence, but it's a primarily a word, and especially in this text, when referred to her character. This woman is no wallflower who just sits by on the sidelines while others engage in important things. This woman is not some ditzy, airheaded persona that a woman has. No, no. She's virtuous. She's strong in character. Well, how does God view her? Her 
her price or her value is far above rubies. What are rubies? Well, in that day specifically, but even in our day, but specifically in that day, there was a very, very well-known and expensive jewelry. And, and in his poetical nature, he, he's really lifting the lid off the concept of the value of a woman with character. Man, if you're married to a woman with character, her price is far above rubies. She's of tremendous value. Her strength should be of tremendous importance to you because she's virtuous, strong. Ladies, that's God's idea in your marriage. Well, pastor, I went to a church and they said, I'm just supposed to totally submit to my husband. Well, that's a biblical principle. Absolutely. But submission doesn't mean silence and submission doesn't mean silliness and submission doesn't mean stupidity and and submission doesn't mean... uh, um, just just uh, scandalous ideas or thoughts. No, 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 that's not what it means at all. Submission just means to put myself in rank or order and, and, and to do so uh, loving of the Lord. We understand that at some point the, somebody has to make the final decision. The virtuous woman, though, is not a woman who just sits by and, and waits for the world to come and, and tell her what to do. No, she's of value. I am, and I probably should think about this more, but I'm a preacher, so we don't always think before we speak. But I am frustrated beyond measure with the condition of our world and the devaluing of women in our culture. There's a, the Bible says male and female created he, them, talking about God, God created them. We have preached for years that the whole idea of the transgender movement is going to ultimately hurt women the most, and we see that happening in our culture, do we not? Where certain college, uh, collegiate athletics are allowing men to just say they're women, and now they get to compete in women's sports because they say that they are. Can I tell you that that is a devaluation of women? It hurts the weakest that are among us. I don't say that to be offensive towards anyone. I want to help everyone, but I want us to understand something, that, that God understands that women are physically the weaker vessel. And they ought to be treated with dignity and respect and care and importance and treasured and not treated as some castaway because now a dude says that he's a woman so that he can win at sports. If you have to say you're a woman to win at sports, you lose all credibility with, with everyone. We know what's going on and we know that ultimately it is women that are hurt. That's not in my notes, and I'll probably say it again in a little better, in a little more well thought out. But I do believe it has it has indication and implication in our culture and in our society. We live in a society that is devaluing women. It isn't treating women with the dignity and the virtue and the respect that is their God given right to have. She's virtuous. Price is above rubies. Some women in the room today, no doubt, 
I'm a dad of two daughters. I'm married to an awesome woman. And my mom was a lady. As is my sister. I've been around women most of my life. We hired Zane Garza to be our youth pastor, not because he's qualified. He's nowhere near qualified. He's the only young guy in the church that had two sons. And so we're just trying to balance it out. Everybody else on staff has daughters. I'm not an authority on being a woman. Thank God. That came out wrong. We're going to bleep that off of the internet. But I know many women don't feel valued because, here's what I hear regularly. Well, but there's somebody else and she's prettier than me. She's more attractive than me. Your value is not based on your attractiveness. Your value is not based on how pretty or not, it's not pretty a phrase that we're going to use. No, we're not going to say that. Your, your value is not, is not based on your attractiveness. There's always somebody more attractive than you. I mean, I thought I was really attractive. I met Bernie Lund. I realized there'll always be somebody more attractive than me. Some people say I'm not of value because I didn't get the education that I wanted. I wish I could have got a better education, but my parents were poor. I came from a bad community, and we couldn't afford to go to college. I, I understand that. We, I had to enter into the workforce to help my family at an early age. I had to join the military so that I could help my family, and I just wasn't able to get the education that I wanted to have, so I don't feel of value. Some people say, I don't feel of value because of my spotted or checkered past. I was, I, was, I was not a good Christian in my past. I wasn't a Christian in my past. And I lived as though I was in the world. And so I, I'm not virtuous. I'm not of value. I, I hear this. I, I, I'm, I'm not of value because I was abused as a child. And the only reason I would be abused is because there's something wrong with me. No, no, there was nothing wrong with you. There was something desperately and de- devilishly wrong with the abuser. I can't measure up because I can't have children. No, ladies, understand you are of value, especially if you're a believer, because you are adopted into the family of God. You are created in the image of God. You are not only his child, but you are also his friend. You need to recognize the toxic thoughts in your life, ladies, and you need to control them by not thinking about them. You say, well, that's easier said than done. No doubt. I, I would agree with that 100%. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, casting down imaginations. What is imaginations? Just thoughts that come to our mind. Unproductive, ungodly thoughts. And let me tell you, when you have the thought that you're not valued, when you have the thought that you're not worth it, when you have the thought that you're the reason for your abuse, when you have the thought that, 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 that you, you don't add, but you're a, a negative, can I tell you that doesn't come from God? Well, Pastor, how can you say that? Because that's not how God speaks. 
The Bible says that Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Those thoughts are attacks on your walk with God. Those thoughts are attacks on on your, your peace. Those thoughts are attacks on your joy. Satan hates you, and he wants to see you and your family destroyed. And you need to recognize it and cast down imagination, and not only imagination, but every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to what? To the obedience or to the understanding or to the words of Christ. Well, I'm just not beautiful. No, no, Psalm 139 verse number 14 says, I'll praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and thy soul knoweth right well. I will praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. How are you made, ladies? Fearfully and wonderfully. That's why it's attacking the character of God to say, I should have been made differently. I, I should have been this. I should have been that. I, I remember as a kid, I, I wanted to be tall. I love basketball because, well, Jesus does. And my goal in life was to be, and I don't know why this was a goal, but I wanted to be like 6'10 to 7 foot tall. You say, why? Because there's a 33% chance that you'll play in the NBA if you're seven foot tall. You have to work at not being athletic if you're seven foot to not play in the NBA. Seven footers, 33% of them are going to be in the NBA. If you can tie your shoes, walk and chew gum, you're probably going to make it in the NBA if you're seven foot tall. I wanted to be in the NBA. I prayed to be seven foot tall. I fasted. And then God reminded me that my dad was 5'7 and my mom was 5'3". To which I asked for a miracle, but I never got. But God reminded me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm made just as I'm made perfect in his eyes. I'm made perfect. I gotta work out or I'll get more and more perfect. But I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Oh, Romans 12, 2. Look at this verse on the screen. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Listen to what that means. That means your mind will be different when you start to think differently. Neuroscientists tell us that brain function shows that our brains are malleable, and we can reshape our brains and our brain function based on the thoughts we allow ourselves to think. I can change the way my brain works by thinking differently. Is it any wonder that God tells us to control our thought life? If you consider yourself a, a loser, if you consider yourself without value, if you consider yourself a waste, if you consider yourself any of these negative thoughts that are not biblical and not Christ-like, can I tell you that's a shape your brain in a certain way, but that can be shaped differently if you'll begin to think of yourself as God wants you to think of yourself. I, I don't mean to be a self-help 
guru this morning. I just want to preach the Bible. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And if you view yourself as a loser, or you view yourself as cheap, or if you view yourself as worthless, you're going to begin to think of yourself as worthless, worthless, cheap, or a loser. But that's not what you are. You're so important to God, ladies, that he sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to die for your sin. Deborah Felita in the book Marriage Sex says this, past experiences will always have power over us until we start to think differently. Past experiences will always have power over us until we start to think differently. Until we start replacing toxic thoughts with truth. Replacing toxic thoughts with truth. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Dwell on these things. There are some TV programs I don't allow in my house because they cheapen women. It's cheap in women. People are like, oh, I don't, I don't think that's a big deal. My wife can handle it. My kids can handle it. You're an idiot with a capital I. You don't know how Satan's going to attack your wife later. I don't want anybody degrading women in my house. I don't want anybody attacking women in my house. I've worked too hard for that woman and those two now young women to find virtue and value in a valueless culture, to find their value in Christ. I don't want them thinking of abuse. I don't want them to be thinking of attacks. I want them to enjoy the peace and the joy that God gives them. Her price is far above rubies. I want you to notice, secondly, not only, firstly, not only does the woman understand her value, but the character of a praised wife, uh, verse number 11, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so she'll have no need of a spoil. Her husband is safe and secure with her. Her husband is safe and secure with her. The phrase safely trust is, uh, is, uh, just means it, it expresses a feeling of safety and security that is felt when one can rely on someone or something else. This is often a, a word that is used for our trust in God. We, we trust in God. It's the same word. Her husband is safely trust in her. And it's most often used that way in reference to our trust in God. Ladies, that's the kind of trust your husband is supposed to have in you. That's what it is. He safely trusts in her so that he has no need of spoil or plunder. It refers to the spoils of war or that which has been taken by violence or force. Allow me some latitude on the application here. He trusts in her strength. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, look at verse number 17. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. I, I'm going to be super candid here. This is not because I like to work out. This lady's not weak. This lady is not weak. She's a strong lady. She's a strong woman. Now, listen, you don't have to clean and jerk and bench press with us. You should. But you don't have to. 
But you ought to be strong. There ought to be more to your life than just like, hey, I, I eat Fruit Loops and gummy bears and I'm just waiting for type two. Yeah, let's just, no, this woman is strong. And her husband can trust in her because she is strong. Some have erroneously taught that a godly wife or a Christian wife must be a wallflower who does nothing more than cook and clean. And there's, there's nothing wrong with cooking and cleaning. Matter of fact, some of you should do it. There's nothing wrong with being a homemaker. As a matter of fact, that's the most honored position in Scripture for a woman. And a God-given responsibility and the greatest place of value and worth for a mom and a wife. It's the greatest place for that. I'm thankful there's three of us that agree. But I'm not coming off it because it's based on the Word of God. In Titus chapter 2, verse number 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. They teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed, that they be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to take care of a family. It's a wonderful thing to raise children. That's what every Christian woman ought to strive to do. I know in our culture that's not always the case and things don't always work out that way. I get that. That's always been the case. But the reality is for this woman in Proverbs chapter 31, she was a woman of strength. And ladies, you need to be strong. You should be strong. Your husband should trust in your strength. My wife is not going to cave if, you know, she has a flat tire on the side of the road. She's going to be strong. He trusts in her strength. He trusts in her financially. Look at our verse. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so he has no need of the spoil. She's not wasting, there's going to be an important word here, you ready? Their money. What do you mean their money? Not his money, not her money, but their money. For the life of me, I can't figure out why people get married and have separate bank accounts. I mean, literally, you're putting your tongue down a dude's throat every night. Have the same bank accounts. Like, well, I we haven't reached that level. You're having sex with a dude and you haven't reached a level of money? Come on, Really? Are you kidding me? This is your life partner? Well, I don't know if it's going to work. Then don't get married. It's that simple. If you think he's an idiot, run. So, well, you might be the last person on the planet I could find. Better to be single than to have been stuck with the last dude on the planet. He should die single. I just don't get it. Well, I, there's just some things I don't... Listen, listen I, I, I mean, in our marriage counseling, we go through this. Pre-marriage counseling, we go through this. Well, there's just some things I don't want her to know that I buy. Dude, if you're not open, we're done. I'm, I, don't, I don't counsel that. We, our church wouldn't agree with that. The Bible is against that. No, two become one. The day I got married, Debbie started telling me how to spend money. 
I'm totally kidding. I don't even know where she's at. No, there she is. That's a total joke. She, she d- didn't do that. But we've, we've always, we've always shared a bank account. There's never been a time her money goes in the bank account that she makes. The money that I make goes in the bank account. The money we make together goes in that same bank account. I mean, I trust her. I, I appreciate her. I have no doubt that she will do her best to help take care of us financially. That she's, she's not. Now, there was a period in time when she was the target uh, customer of the week, 32 weeks in a row. Finally, I had to pull her aside and said, babe, there's some trophies we don't want. She's like, well, I just go in there, and there's so much nice stuff. I'm like, it's target. There's nothing nice. Part of her husband to safely trust in her financially. Turn with me, if you would, over to Proverbs chapter 5. I know normally we don't look at this much scripture, but I want you to see this. Not only does the heart of her husband safely trust in her strength and financially, but he trusts in her sexually. Verse number 15, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her loves. Why will thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman or embrace the bosom of a stranger? Or, and embrace the bosom of a stranger. Now, you have to understand something. God, listen to me clearly, God created sex before the fall of man. Before there was ever sin in the world, Genesis chapter 2, God created sex. It says, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. God created sex for the confines of marriage. I know that people have made mistakes. I know there's been, been, been regrets in this room. I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but I do want to clearly describe what God has done. Well, why does God reserve sex for marriage? Because sex within the bounds of marriage is supposed to be off the hook. It's supposed to be amazing and fantastic and wonderful, and enjoyable, and it's a great grace of God. And people say, yeah, in in our early days, that's how it was. No, 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 this is how it's supposed to be into our, like, 80s. You say, 80s? Yeah. It should be better with time. That's why the Bible says in verse 15, drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. This is poetry, if you remember, and it's, and it's um, veiled language so that adults can understand it and children cannot. That's why Orthodox Jews, we're told that they have the highest rate of satisfying sex life within marriage because they understand the admonitions of the Old Testament. And the Solomon who is writing, he's saying, hey, listen, you, you have sex with your wife. And verse number 16, and only your wife, verse 16, let thy fountains be blessed as rivers of waters in the street, or, or dispersed abroad as and rivers of water in the street. What does it mean, dispersed abroad? It, it just means there should be variety in your sex life. And the heart of her husband safely trusts in that. 
That it doesn't need to be routine and rote and the same thing all the time. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad. Feel free to try different things and different ways as rivers of waters in the street. But it can only be with your wife. Let them be only thine own and not a stranger's with thee. Nobody needs to know about it. Nobody needs to engage in it. And you don't need to talk about it unless you're getting help from an older lady, ladies, or unless you're getting help from a, a pastor, an older man, men. This needs to be something that is between you and your spouse, and it ought to be bring joy. Well, what do you mean? Well, look at verse number 18. Let thy fountain be blessed. Come on. We don't have to work too hard to figure out what that means. And rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Notice it doesn't say with thy youthful wife. Well, why is that? Because she won't always be youthful. But she'll be the wife of your youth. Rejoice with her. Find pleasure in her. Her body is a playground. Enjoy the swing. Enjoy the slide. I don't know what to tell you to enjoy, but that's what it is. Let her be as a loving hind in a pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. I'm not going to define the word because I would feel embarrassed, the word breast, but I hope that you will look it up in a good, good lexicon to help you understand what that word means. If children weren't in the room, I would define it, but I, I hope that you'll look at it. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished. That word simply means, listen to me, it means intoxicated, like to the point of being drunk. I'm not trying to be scandalous. I'm telling you what the Scripture says. One of the reasons Christians uh, before marriage are sexually active because they bought into the world's idea that sex after marriage, uh, or the one thing that will kill sex is marriage. No, no, no. Marriage is the gateway to joy. You're going to be ravished always with her love. The word love there, just it's obviously a word that is talking about sex. Always be ravished with that. Always be intoxicated with that. Why be intoxicated with a strange woman? Why be intoxicated with a chick on a screen? I mean, dude, really? You'd rather masturbate to a screen than enjoy your wife? Ladies, you'd rather masturbate to a fantasy than enjoy your husband? Oh, I know it got quiet because it got real. I'm good. I'm real good. I wasn't as good at the 830 service. Y'all picked the right one to come to. I've never, I've never heard those words in church before in my whole life. My mama would roll over in her grave. She's not dead yet. If she heard that, she would. Well, so would mine. I'm going to send her a message. She's got life insurance. Um, I'm kidding. She doesn't. Uh, <laughs> seriously? You're ravished with a woman who wouldn't give you the time of day? Like that intoxicated? I just can't wait to get on whatever website it is. Really? It's fake. It's a fraud. It's phony. She doesn't even look like that. 95% of the time, literally industry uh, reps tell us that 95% of the time that every woman who, who is involved in the porn industry, 95% of them are abused, drunk, or high during those photo takes. That's what turns you on? You're creepy. No, you're freaking creepy. Be ravished with her love. 
And ladies, this is the kind of love that you need to have towards your husband. I'm not trying to be crass, but good grief, there, there needs to come a time when, when churches start speaking truth in a way that people understand. And be ravished with her. He's comfortable. He's safe with her sexually. It's a wonderful place to be. He's safe with her emotionally. I'm not saying that women, men, women and men should think the same. Praise God, we don't. And that's not, that's not a degradation on women or an elevation of women or a degradation of men or other. We just think differently. And, it, and it's wonderful that we think differently. I like that, don't you? I mean, if we all thought the same, that'd be really bizarre. Really bizarre. But I do believe it's helpful for the family when the mom's on an emotional roller coaster every day. And when her emotions don't dictate what goes on in the whole family. If mom has had a bad day, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. No, if mom ain't happy, mom needs to repent. If mom's not filled with joy, mom needs to get her heart right with God. He trusts in her emotionally. Okay, everybody has bad days. I get it. I do. You do. We all do. We're all maturing. We're all maturing into Christ's likeness. That's great. But, but your reputation ought not be one of an emotional roller coaster. Why is that? Well, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Trust God. I know that it's not as simple as that sometimes. I know sometimes there's some bigger issues, but the Bible takes, takes really profound truth that makes it simple. And, and sometimes we're so emotional because we're, we're simply not trusting in the Lord. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 25 says, Be not afraid of sudden fear. The phrase sudden fear means panic attacks. Be not afraid of that. Neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. Well, pastor, I struggle with that. I get it. That's why we're trying to move forward to emotional stability and emotional strength. doesn't mean you're there today, but let's take steps towards that. Let's ask God for that. Let's do better at that. Let's work a little harder. And when we fall down, like the scripture says, let's get back up and be stronger. Not only does he safely trust in her, look at verse number 12, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Look at verse number 26, she openeth her mouth with wisdom in her life, and in her tongue, rather, is the law of kindness. This lady lives a righteous life. She lives a righteous life. She will do him good. The word good means pleasant or appealing to the senses. And there's a contrast word here. The Bible says so much, by the way, of its contrast, especially in Proverbs. She will do him good. She will do him pleasant. Ladies, you ought to strive to be pleasant and appealing to the senses for your husband. Now, two weeks ago, I, I, was, I was very clear with our men. And I want to be clear with ladies. You, you need to work hard to be pleasant and appealing. He doesn't need to walk into a house where Olga's the ringmaster and everybody's her puppet. That was funny. Y'all should laugh better. 1030 crowd doesn't laugh right. You're ruining great humor. Next week I'll speak on, on pride. Um, she, she, she's doing him good. She's pleasant. He, he doesn't come through the door of the house and the whole world's falling apart. 
Now, sometimes that happens, and when it happens, it needs to be dealt with. But it's not an everyday thing. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know, these, I know, I, I know some of you in the room. Some of y'all are addicted to drama. Matter of fact, you'll make it happen just so that you feel better about yourself. That's a sin. And it's stupid. Why? Because there's no peace involved there. The God of peace shall be with you. God wants you to live in peace. God wants you to live in joy. I don't say that to be offensive, but I I mean, I've just seen people, they they manufacture drama. If you struggle with that, please don't ever go on social media. Stop reading the internet. Get rid of the internet. Just just stay away from the news. Why? Because you'll appropriate drama that's not yours. I've had people come to me here in this auditorium, and they start just, just going off about something, and I think it's personal. I'm like, now, when did this happen to you? And like, oh, oh, Pastor, it's never happened to me, but I was reading about it on Facebook. What? You put me through your emotions that you read about on Facebook? Are you kidding me? Well, well something should be done about it. Here's what to do about it. Delete your account. I know it's for some of you that's a really hard concept. I can't go out throughout the day without hearing what great Aunt Ethel is doing with her persimmons. This lady lives a righteous life. She'll do him good, pleasant, appealing to the senses and not evil. Not bad in a moral or an ethical sense. She'll do him good and not evil. She lives a righteous life. Number, verse number 13, look at this. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. We're just kind of hitting some of the high points now. Verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She is industrious. She is industrious. What do you mean, Pastor, she's industrious? I mean, she's actively engaged. We see throughout the scripture women like Sarah and Rebecca and Ruth who are all industrious examples of Old Testament women. And we could take that into to Dorcas in the New Testament or Lydia in the New Testament. And we see strong, godly women who are industrious. Ladies, it's okay to be industrious. It's okay to, to work willingly with your hands. It's okay to, to look well to the way of your household and to not be idle. Well, I just want to be wealthy and I want somebody else to serve me. There's a problem with that. What is it? You're not wealthy. And even if you were, you're still supposed to be industrious. You don't have an out because you can pay somebody else to do it. You might have an out to pay somebody to do some things while you do other things, but you don't have an out when it comes to industriousness. This woman is industrious. Regardless of, of, of... all the things that you're doing, you need to be actively engaged. And if you have little children at, the ho- at your house, you better be industrious because they will walk all over you. Verse number 20. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth her hands to the needy. Not only is she industrious, this woman is giving. Though her primary concern is for that of her family, she is also very joyful to give to the poor and needy, to the truly poor and needy. There are a lot of people in our world who say they're poor and needy that aren't really poor and needy. This woman is legitimately trying to help those who are poor and needy. She is not selfish. 
She is not selfish. She's helping those who are in need. It's not uncommon for me to hear Debbie on her phone at the other end of the house. And she'll be talking to someone and she'll say something like this. Well, let me think about it and I'll talk to Chris about that. That's code language for I'm about to give away a lot of money. That's what that means. Oh, I'll talk to Chris about that. No, 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 you're not going to. You're telling me we're giving people money. And you say, Pastor, how do you feel about it? Listen to me. I love it. Why? Because given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom with the same measure that you meet. With all it shall be measured to you again. I want a wife who wants to give. I want a wife who enjoys giving. I don't want a selfish wife. I, I want a wife who, who loves to give. And that's exactly what the Proverbs 31 woman does. She, she has no problem with giving. We, we just had our, our uh, Global Impact Month where we raised money by faith for what God would have us do for missions. And, and Debbie and I were praying about it. And we didn't come to the same number. She gave me her number. And then I gave her mine. And mine was substantially higher than, your, than hers. And I was like, oh, no, how is she going to respond? And the second that I told her the number, which was substantially higher than hers because I have more faith. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, normally she is. But when I told her that, she goes, that is so awesome. Let's do it. And I was like, really? She goes, oh, yeah. God's never let us down. Why would he start now? This is going to be great. Now, 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 here's the deal. This woman's just giving. The character of a praise wife, she's giving. Verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now, we live in San Diego. This isn't as big a deal for us. We could, this text could be written for us like she's not afraid of the 45-degree temperatures. I mean, but if you've ever lived somewhere cold, you do understand you have to be prepared for that. I grew up in, in Washington State, and it would certainly get cold in the wintertime there. And, and my mom, sometime in the fall, early fall, my mom would always make us try on our winter clothes. Specific. I, I'm sure she did with my brother and sister as well, but uh, she loved me more, so maybe she took more attention to that. But never mind. <sighs> but I'd have to try my, my, my winter coat on, and some years it was just too small. And mom would say, okay, we've, we've got to take your brothers and give it to you, and then we'll, give you, we'll buy your brother a new one. I lived with hand-me-downs all of my life, I feel like, and, and my brother would get a new coat. I would get his coat. What's she doing? She's preparing. She's not, she's not waiting until it's cold to figure out if I need a coat or not. She's not afraid of the snow. Oh, let it snow. I don't care. We, we, we're clothed. We're clothed with scarlet. We're, we're ready to go. She's not waiting until the kids are hungry to figure out what to feed them. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that some of you need to figure out that you can cook at home and it's probably healthier for your kids. Well, we just run down to McDonald's. That's not a good idea. Uh, now, I'm not against McDonald's, so get me wrong. You had enough ketchup to anything, it's edible. I'm not against it. But if it can last 14 years on your shelf and flies don't want it, 
you might consider that maybe your family needs you to prepare and it's cheaper and it's healthier. I, I don't have time scientifically to go into all of the implications of, of the fast food culture that we live, but, but can I tell you, it's almost always because we're just simply not prepared. Not always. Sometimes there's legitimate needs, and we certainly take advantage of that when there's legitimate needs and all of that. But I am saying that this woman is prepared. I sometimes cry at our daycare when I see parents. They, they, the, the food that they, everything is processed. Everything is, is, is as quick as it can be done. Ladies, be prepared for your family. Again, I'm not against some of that stuff, but, but make sure that they're well cared for. That's what she's doing in verse number 21. Verse number 22. I got like four minutes left. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles to the merchants. She's attractive. She maketh, I'm sorry, verse 22, I read the wrong verse. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Uh, her clothing is silk and purple. She's clothed in silk, which was a fine linen. It was a, an exquisite linen. It, was, it, was, it couldn't just be manufactured. It, it wasn't, I mean, silk in our day is expensive. In that day, it was extremely expensive. And purple, the color of royalty. Now, let, let me say with emphasis here that the attention or the idea of this verse is not that you wear uh, silk and purple. That's not it. The uh, idea here is that you would be attractive to your spouse, Being married, this is what she's saying to her husband, being married to you makes me feel like a queen. This doesn't mean you have to spend a lot of money on your clothing, but it is okay to look good. Flip-flop sweats and a cowboy hat, probably not attractive to most dudes. Well, I've had this shirt since junior high, and my mom says I look good in it. Your mom is stupid, and you're not married to her. She's not really stupid. She just probably doesn't define attractive the same way your husband does. Can I say this as a means of edification? This is a conversation that you should have together. What do you find attractive on me? People always joke around about that, like if a wife says, does this dress make me look fat? If Debbie says that, I always say yes. Why? Because if she asks it, she's probably thinking that. We have some rules when she comes out of the dressing room. How many of you have ever had the, the, the dubious burden of going clothes shopping with your spouse? Like you go clothes shopping and you're just like, why? What sin did I commit? Is this penance? What am I doing here? So now I just make a game out of it. Debbie's in there, and I try to get as many clothes as I can in there at once. And he's like, you can only have four items. <laughs> That's what you think. 60 in there. Debbie, just keep trying them on until you find something that you like. But she'll, when Debbie comes out of the dressing room and she's doing this, like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think? No, nope, no good. She's like, why? Why don't you think it? Because you're doing this all the time. When you walk out, this is, how, this is how I know what to buy my wife. When she walks out, she goes, don't I look good? Oh, babe, yes, you look amazing. Truth is, she doesn't look any different than the previous one, but she feels different in it. She just feels different, and I'm okay with that. 
I want her to feel comfortable. I want her to feel confident in that. I want her to find joy in that, don't you? There's things that I think she looks great. She's like, oh, I don't like it. It just, it just, it just. And she starts describing words that aren't in the English language. And oh no. And she just comes up with these words for material like women really know what they're talking about. And she just came up with them, but I have to agree. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that chiffon maple leaf, sugary, whatever. I don't know what you're talking about there, but yeah, we shouldn't get that. But we do want to have conversations as to what looks good. And by the way, I do the same thing. Like, hey, hey, how how does this make me, do, do you think I look attractive? No, she married me, so she has a much lower standard. And she's just is like, the more you can cover up, the better, Chris. Whatever, it's all good. That was a good line, but you'll think about it later. You got to look good publicly and privately. And by the way, this is going to be different for every couple. I would hate to think that anybody in this room would define attractive by what somebody else in the room defines attractive. But you ought to be close enough in your marriage to ask one another, how do you find, what do you define as attractive? If, if you're a rancher in the hill country of Texas, it's probably going to be, you know, jeans and cowboy boots. If my wife wore that, I would lose my mind in a bad way. Like, what in the world? Well, I put these spurs on to drive the Hyundai faster? I mean, what are you doing? And then finally, verse number 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. This woman loves God. This woman loves God. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And women, ladies, you want a man, let me talk to you single ladies, who will praise you for loving God. That's what you want a man for. There's a balance in this text. She's beautiful, but the primary form of her beauty is what's in her heart. Well, the only way that there can be beauty of heart is by knowing Christ. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, there there really can be no beauty of heart because the Bible says you're the enemy of God. You're at enmity with God. Internal beauty starts with knowing Christ. By repenting of your sin, that means to realize you're a sinner and turn from your sin and turn to Christ. By repenting of your sin and trusting only Jesus Christ to save you. Well, wait a minute, Pastor, I want to apply those other things to, the, to my life. Those other things only matter if you have a close, personal, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what binds us together in the Christian covenant of marriage is not our beauty, it's not even our security, it's not even our virtue. What first binds us together, the glue that binds us together, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know him as Savior, you can be saved by repenting of your sin and trusting him. And if you're here today and you are saved, there is no doubt, ladies, that there's some things in this message that have spoken to you. Maybe it's the issue of virtue. I don't know. Maybe it's the issue of strength. I don't know. But if God has spoken to your heart, I encourage you to deal with that today before you go home and surrender to him however he has spoken to you. That's our prayer this morning. Thank you for listening. 
Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.